I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. We are now back to the Roman Missile. Coming out to you from Atchison, Kansas, from Bob to Joanne, the Roman Missile. After a short detour to talk about theosis, we are back at the uh, where we left off for the general instruction of the Roman Missile. Chris, what? you're in charge of... Uh, our agenda all the time. So uh, where did we leave off and yeah, where are we going yeah. and why? Well, the, the gist of this season on the whole, right, is kind of to respond to traditionis custodis and how the, you know, how the celebration of the, especially the, the current Roman Missal, you know, contains the tradition and can celebrate the tradition and manifest the tradition to, um, to people in 2022, as it were. So we want to look at the, we're, we're taking a walk through the order of mass um, a slow walk, yeah, very contemplative slow walk. Yeah. walk. Yeah, what's the one thing that could be slower than the celebration of mass? Talking about the celebration of the yeah. mass. <laughs> but oh, wow. I have heard from two priest friends who said they're really enjoying this and they're getting stuff out of it. So, mm. if uh, you know, and I was also thinking too, if there's anybody out there who likes the liturgy, guys. And has learned something. <laughs> I would love anybody, to, anybody, Bueller, crickets anyone, here. cricket, crickets. I would love if you could send us an email with a little testimonial for you know to sell the liturgy guys to people here at Benedictine or wherever else. So can they send a testimonial to questions at liturgyguys.com? They can, and we do get we do get that sometimes. And I might add, um, this wasn't true the last time we were doing a recording session, but it is true now. We have a brand new course on our online platform on the general instruction of the Roman Missal taught by former director, Father Eusebius Martis. It is an amazing class that's available right now. That's a U, not a boo. That's a U. Used to be known as Dougie. Eusebius. Now Eusebius? Now you don't. That's my joke about Eusebius. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, you can buy that now, liturgy.online. Check it out. Okay. All right, so when we last left off, I mean, we started this session a long time ago. We t- we had a number of podcasts on preparing actually for the mass to celebrate through prayer. We talked about the different ministers. We talked about the uh, the appointments in the church building, things like that. Then we walked through the uh, entrance rite, the order procession, the uh, entrance chant and things like that. Then we got the ministers into the sanctuary and we got to the priest to the to the chair. We talked about the chair a little bit. We talked about the altar a little bit. And again, the, we're 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 not being creative in this podcast in any way at all. We're beginning with the actual books, what they said. We're looking at the order of mass. We're supplementing that with the general instruction of the Roman Missal. We're reading it in line with the tradition and how we might celebrate it today. We, uh, I think we ended then last time with the priest making the sign of the cross and giving uh, the greeting, right? So we're to, through the order of mass to number three. I think, oh, I can't remember. I looked at this the other day. I think there's 145 paragraphs in the order of mass. So we're... Uh, and we've done the first one. We've got the first three. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But I hope... But you- as we've seen with these documents, they're very front heavy and they explain a lot of this stuff. And then, you know, a lot of what we learn in the in the first paragraphs 
come back and are recognized later on mm. and inferred yeah. upon. No, that's true. That's true. But I hope, you know, what we, I don't know, tried to show despite our muddling through it is, you know, one of the things that uh, the council wanted to do was to kind of, I don't know, purify, clarify, clean up, say the beginning of mass. It, it was um, a little unclear. When, I mean, when does mass start? It was unclear for us too. It's beginning with the sign of the cross. It's beginning with the entrance chant. But, um, you know, a lot of the, I think uh, we discussed the prayers at the foot of the altar was kind of a combination of the priest's own preparation for mass combined with uh, an introit, uh, things like that. And then there was another proper introit. Anyway, so they're trying to clarify what happens at uh, the beginning of mass. Now, we continue to muddle things up in our own way with various announcements and, you know, starting mass late and kind of a hodgepodge of, uh, of a procession oftentimes into the into the sanctuary. But in any case, that's what we've gotten to this point. And so now we're up to, after the sign of the cross and the greeting, what is called the uh, penitential act. So that's what I think we can get Although through. Although before that, Chris, it says the priest yeah. or deacon or another minister may very briefly introduce the faithful to the mass of the day, right? So this is an opportunity for one of these people to actually go off script in a sense, right? And actually speak kind of, ex hopefully plan, but in a way extemporaneously about what the mass of the day is, so. Well, I do, I mean, first of all, I, you're right. That's uh, that's order of mass number three. I mean, so you have the entrance chant, the very first word out of the priest's mouth is in, as in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the greeting, the, the priest does say good morning to everybody, but he does so with the uh, uh, lingua franca of the of the Roman Missal. Uh, the Lord be with you. Uh, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the priest says hello, but in a way that's inspired by scripture in a sort of elevated tone. And then, so the first point, Dennis, like you're saying, is it's only after the sign of the cross and the greeting that the mass is introduced in different words, right? So nothing before then. Right. So the priest can say, today we're celebrating the feast of St. Christopher and Martyr and Companions, Jesse, and uh, hopefully say something edifying, <laughs> not distracting, well-planned, and mm -hmm. helpful. Of course, in the extraordinary form or whatever it's called now, <laughs> they didn't have these opportunities for extemporaneous speaking. And you can see how this could be, could be really great. You know, today we're celebrating the Mass of whatever, and I invite you to remember that as we Entering the mass. On the other hand, it could also be an opportunity for goofing around and uncareful preparation. And so that permission in itself is not really morally right or wrong, I suppose. It's just sort of. Why is Chris the saint and I'm the companion? I, I don't get that. Well, it's his beard. Is it a leader's beard? You know, it's also a <laughs> martyr's beard. Just because I cannot grow a beard doesn't mean I am less of a potential no, saint. No, companions are awesome. I'm not even a companion, so I take it. For what it's good. Yeah, that's true. You, <laughs> just because you that's because you lost your head. I think the other thing, Dennis, that's noteworthy about that order of mass number three is it says the priest or a deacon or another minister, right? So most of the time it's probably the priest, but the deacon's role uh, oftentimes is characterized as kind of being this bridge between heaven and earth between sanctuary and nave, kind of like the angels that are uh, ascending and descending upon the ladder. And so the deacon is the one who gives instructions to the people. And I've heard some priests celebrate say, you know, I'm going to save my words for uh, to talk to God in a certain sense, or to, I'm, I'm not going to, oh, what would be the word, sort of... Uh, um, kind of water down my other important words by uh, more, 
I don't know. And I don't want to downplay these uh, introductions, but he's going to have the deacon do it because that's more in keeping with the deacon's role. So I don't know if if a, if a priest who has a deacon out there, this might be one of those things to consider is that, you know, let the deacon in a way like you described, Dennis, with words that are brief, concise, well-prepared, to the point, not rambling and all of the rest. Let him assume that role of introducing the people uh, to the mass. Now, this is a subtle theological point, Chris, and I need, really need your expertise. Um, I assume that introducing the faithful to the mass of the day does not mean turn to your left, turn to your right, and introduce yourself to your neighbor. Am I, am I right there? I think you're absolutely right. Does it not <laughs> allow for, does right. anybody here have birthdays this week? Is no, that I do uh, not think Anniversaries the, this week? No, I don't it's think like, the, It's like the liturgical cha-cha slide. Look to your left. Look yeah. to your right. No, no. Shake hands real quick. It's to introduce the faithful to the mass, not their neighbors or other things like that or other you know things. Introduce people to the mass of the day, right? Because we've said in other podcasts, is I mean, you can you can celebrate the ritual perfectly, but I mean, it, it, the idea is moving. The liturgical movement was about moving people into the mystery which is unfolding before their own sacramental eyes, uh, and not distracting or derailing from that. And so, you know, we, we do, a, I think ministers can do a disservice to the people by not leading them uh, into, into the mystery. So, Does the Diocese of Lacrosse know what a treasure they have in you, Chris? I hope uh, they do. Yeah, yeah. Does your wife uh, know what a treasure she has? No, no. It's, it's, it's only the three of us and our, and our handful of listeners. Okay, good. Maybe. No. But uh, the priest or the deacon. Wait, or, your wife doesn't listen to the podcast? Oh, no. I don't even <laughs> listen to the podcast. But no, priest, deacon, or another minister. You know, I don't, I think we did one of these preparatory podcasts, right? That there's a, an actual on the books minister called commentator. And I don't know that, you know, in your list of liturgical uh, goals for 2022, if one of them is to restore the commentator. Um, but I mean, this is, it, it, you know, if one of our premises is to go by the book and understand the book in the ritual in light of the tradition, well, I mean, let's take seriously what it says. Now, imagine if you had someone Again, well-trained, designated, whose remarks were actually to lead people and introduce people into the mystery being celebrated on this day. I mean, how that could help to clean up, to clarify, to uh, to organize in a certain way. Um, I mean, this, this could conceivably be a helpful thing. I Can I ask a question about, about the, the ordinal nature of that? Because in, from my understanding, the way we read church documents – a lot of the times it is ordinal, so that it will give preference to the priest, then the deacon, then another liturgical minister. Are we to assume that there's an ordinal nature here, that the preference is the priest rather than option? Yeah, I don't know uh, from like a legal standpoint how to introduce, how to interpret, say, order of mass number three. Um, I, you know, when we talked about uh, the options for the music at the entrance, I, I think, especially in light of tradition, you can make a case that, you know, the first one is the preferred option. In this instance, I don't know necessarily. I mean, there's merits and demerits to, to each of these. Um, but anyway, I think it's something that, you know, you should note, right? So a priest is, is in this Roman Missal every single day and maybe has not noticed that at number three. To notice it, 
consider the options, what are the pros and cons of each, theologically, pastorally, liturgically, sacramentally, and all the rest, and make an informed decision based on that. But I don't know in this case, Jesse, if it means priest is your first choice, then the deacon's the second choice. And I, I just find it a hard mm-hmm. I find it hard to believe that you, let's say I go to my pastor and say, Hey, will you let me be a uh, commentator and let me introduce this? Because I would be considered a liturgical minister and I can mm-hmm. help people understand the liturgy for the day. Yeah. I just don't I don't know how good that would go over with a lot of pastors, but yeah. I'm just Yeah. Well, and I think too the the genesis of this ministry called commentator uh, Dennis, maybe you know this, I think it was more in the 40s and 50s in some places where, you know, tr- as a kind of a liturgical movement aid to getting people into the mystery. And if there was this disconnect uh, from, you know, I'd say principally the language, but also, you know, maybe the the nature of the ritual is to help them help to explain uh, to a certain degree, you know, what's going on and how they can pray this moment uh, better. I, you know, I don't know that that type of ministry is as needed uh, today. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think we like those kind of interruptions in our ritual usually, and it's too hard to uh, let them become a distraction. Speaking so, of interruptions, yeah, boy, how appropriate. Yeah, my phone. It's uh, <laughs> Professor Aaron Riches. You want me to put him on the podcast? I can put him up to the microphone. No, no. <laughs> he would like it, but he's a professor here. We've been playing phone tag for two days now. Oh. Now, if it were President Minnis, yes. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He called my cell phone once when I was teaching class, and I answered it and put him on speakerphone, and he talked to the class. He's fun like that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, whatever the answers to those questions are, let's get into this uh, penitential act uh, yeah. at this so point. what's a penitential act? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the Mass, you mean. Yeah. Well, the... Okay, so we are at uh, Order of Mass number four, right? So people understand in the middle of this book is is basically called the Order of Mass. And it takes you from sign of the cross to the uh, dismissal, right? And it gives some rubrics and texts along the way. Now, this Order of Mass is further explained in what's called the General Instruction of the Roman Missal. This is kind of a larger instruction manual at the beginning. So if you were to look in the General Instruction of the Roman Missal number 46, it explains the purpose of first of all the uh, the uh, introductory rites, so we're in the midst of the introductory rites. One of those is to establish communion, and a second of those is to help the people dispose themselves for the celebration that lies ahead. So that's maybe the first thing that we should uh, keep in mind is that it establishes communion. Right, it's not just a bun- bunch of individuals merely, but it's individuals who are to assemble themselves into a mystical body that begins to pray. And then second of all, to dispose themselves for this grace that God is about to, you know, uh, lay on us in through through all of these prayers and uh, rites. Okay, so that's the first thing. That's the purpose. Um, some history of this is, you know, some of the, in, to my mind, I don't know, the, pie, piecing together the history of the liturgy is very difficult. You, first of all, you can't pick up two manuals that seem to agree on <laughs> any of this stuff. But um, uh, some sources see something similar in uh, the Jewish synagogue practice. Okay? And uh, also in, um, there's a, a document called the Didache. You know what the Didache is, uh, Dennis or Jesse? Yeah, it's one of those ancient documents that described some of the early worship on the uh, yeah, day, right? Yeah, yeah it, it means like um, teaching of the 12, I think. 
Uh, and it's you know case in point. What's the date on the Didache? I don't know. People argue over that too. Somewhere <laughs> between like somewhere between like fifty and three fifty. You know, not to put too fine a point on it, but <laughs> anyway. So it's like you yeah, said. When was America founded? Somewhere between you know. It's a long time ago. Yeah. So, but it's a very. They think it's one of these very uh, early uh, documents, and it has this line about confessing one's sins beforehand. Okay, before the celebration, and. You know, obviously, there's more you could say about this in the how did how did this confit was there a confitior in the preconciliar uh, mass, Dennis? Well, the priest and the altar servers said it. I don't know if the people did in the pews. Do you know? Yeah, no, they wouldn't. So the you know, so so the priest and the ministers would process to the foot of the altar. Right. And the priest himself would would say the confitior. I confess Okay, uh, and then uh, the right, and then the, the the servers actually, I suppose, in the name of the people, would say, "May Almighty God have mercy on you, forgive you your sins, and bring you to everlasting life." In Latin, okay, and then it would be the uh, servers' turn to say, "I confess," in Latin, and the priest would say, "May Almighty God have mercy on you, forgive your sins, bring you to everlasting life," and then there'd be this prayer, indult, uh, indulgentiam. Uh, absolationum et remissionem peccatorum nostrum. Okay, so uh, in other words, may Almighty God have uh, may all may the Almighty and merciful God grant us pardon, absolution, and remission of our sins. And He would make uh, this sign of the cross uh, at that time. And people would make the sign of the cross often at that time too, right? In the old form. yeah, they would. In fact, but do, do you see people? Making you still this? see it. So, yeah, I still see it sometimes. Well, you do, but it's a little bit misplaced, isn't it? Right, so it's after it's right after that. right. I mean, the, the today when the priest says, "My Almighty God, have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting." Oftentimes, you see the priest make the the people rather make the sign of the cross, but that's not the same location as it was in the usus antiquior. Rather, there was no sign of the cross during that prayer. It was during this uh, indulgentiam, this uh, "May Almighty God grant us pardon and absolution." So it's a little bit of a. I think people are. I don't think they're tapping into uh, something traditional, but it's not quite doing the same thing today as it did uh, then. So I find it kind of interesting that after the reforms of the Second Vatican Council, the people, too, now make a penitential act. All right? And I imagine this is because they're emphasizing the participation of the entire mystical body, not just the head and the servers, or the servers taking the place of the people in their preparation for celebrating the liturgy, but that the people, too, make this penitential act. You're in the presence of God. The only thing you can realize is, whoa, I'm not God. I'm a sinner. I'm not this level of perfection. And it's this beginning uh, place to to receive. Well, I think you're right. I mean, uh, very often um, the descriptions of the the preconciliar mass, it's the servers are there as you know, being the mouthpiece of the people, they're saying the parts on behalf of the people. And one of the differences now is that that's no longer the case. The people themselves are making their own uh, confession of sins. That's one thing. Right. Maybe and often the priest and the people say the same prayer, like this one, right? Yeah, the priest says yeah. the confitior too. So it's the whole body saying, this is our, our condition. Well, and I think, I don't know this for certain, but I think if if the aim to be considered before all else is to encourage the people to authentically and actively participate, it's like, you know, the lay people are showing up there not to, to watch 
what's going on in the sanctuary, but to be active participants in the offering of this sacrifice. And this is one of the things that, you know, if the introductory rites are to dispose the people to celebrate, well, this penitential act is disposing the people to actively participate in offering and then later receiving the sacrifice. And so uh, it behooves them to to participate in this penitential act themselves and not just with uh, uh, vicariously through, say, uh, the yes. service or something like that. We want hooves. Yeah. <laughs> and th- Don't just see the hooves, be the hooves. Well, another thing, too, to <laughs> be know the hoof you is want that to. Th- this is not. It's, it's a, anyway. All right. Are you two finished? Yes. Yes. Go ahead, smart Chris. <laughs> no, is let's the, continue. So this is, this is taking place, um, you might say, not before the mass at the foot of the altar, but in the context of the mass. This is, you know, after the I'm trying to think where the sign of the cross uh, uh, had been before. Um, but no, it's no, th- this would have happened in, in the extraordinary form. This would have happened uh, after the sign of the cross. So in the same place. But it seems to be more part and parcel of the celebration of uh, the mass proper. Uh, it's interesting. Well. Some people might say, well, where did the prayers at the foot of the altar go? To some degree, they've mutated into the Mass itself rather than before the Mass and also open now in a shortened form to the people as well. Yeah. No, oh, I think that's right, too. The Convitior was part of the prayers at the foot of the altar. Now it's yeah. in the Mass itself. Yeah. But why, okay. Chris? Why? Oh, why? Oh, why? We're in the presence of God. We're about to celebrate the mysteries. Why do we have to say... I'm a sinner, my own fault, grievous fault, bang on the chest, the whole thing. Yeah, well, again, if the introductory rites are establishing a proper disposition, but also uh, to assemble the individuals into a corpus, then this is meant to do those two things. Like think of, for example, and we can look at this prayer in just a second. Uh, and I ask, um, therefore, I ask Blessed Virgin Mary, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me. Right? So what we should think about that is that... Um, it's not just uh, me and God. It's if the three of us were in mass, we're saying this. I'm asking Dennis and Jesse to pray for me, uh, yeah. as well as uh, the Blessed Mother and the saints. And likewise, you know, uh, Jesse, you should be able to count on Dennis and I praying for you that you were properly disposed to join into this. Uh, you know, I act. never do that. I, I have to say, this is one that has completely escaped me, even though I say the words. I mm. never pray for the other people in the church yeah. <laughs> in that well, moment. Yeah. Oh, I know and, it. Uh, I mean, maybe they're I asking you to. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, That's I, because whenever we go to mass, Chris always goes and sits somewhere else yeah, sits away from us. So. <laughs> no, but you're so right, Dennis. I mean, this is just one of those many instances where the words are just, you know, Charlie Brown's teacher uh, and they're not really, um, you know, meaningful to the one who's, who's saying them. And, hey, Jesse, Charlie Brown was a cartoon character. Hey, Chris, did you know that guy who was the original voice of Charlie Brown just died? No, I didn't. Way to bring it up. Too soon, man. Too soon. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so insensitive, Chris. Gosh. Make an act of penitence. Yeah, you need to strike your breast uh, once or three times saying mea culpa. Yeah, yeah. Well, we should look, you know, before time's up on this thing, we should look. There are three different types of penitence. There's three different uh, options for the penitential act. Um, although we should say in some ways there's four because it says now, if you're looking in your Roman Missal, it says penitential act asterisk. What does the asterisk refer to? I was just looking at that from time to time on Sundays, especially in Easter time. Instead of the customary penitential act, the blessing and sprinkling of water may take place as an appendix to as ah. a reminder of baptism. 
Yeah. You would make a really great liturgical commentator. Yes. Thank you, Jesse. <laughs> All right. So this is this is possibly we might say a fourth one. Now in the in the in the former rite too, there was a, a blessing and sprinkling with holy water that happened. Uh, I think on Sundays before mass started altogether. Though is that the asparagus? Yeah, it is okay. exactly. And that would be often the, at high mass, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Chant so, you know, Jesse in, in Jesse's LI class on sacramentals, blessings and devotions. We looked at this. Uh, we're looking at this now. Right. So there's an exorcism of the salt. There's a blessing of the salt. There's an exorcism of the water. There's a blessing of the water. And then the priest would pour the salt in three times while making the sign of the cross uh, and say uh, something like, um, uh, through this mixture of salt and water, and then may God bless it in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy, something like that. Now, what how this takes place now, if you were to use it, it doesn't happen before Mass. It happens, as you said, Dennis, you know, in place of the penitential act. Uh, the exorcism prayers are not there. The salt is there as an option. It's not poured in three times in the sign of the cross. So it's, it's very much simplified. But this, too, is one of those... Uh, um, options of the penitential act that can take place. What does it say? Sundays, especially during the uh, the uh, Easter season. Yeah. Uh, Why would for, it say from time to time on Sundays? That that's sounds like a very unliturgical phrase. Yeah. I guess they're not implying that it should replace the penitential act every time. Yeah. And there's no particular yeah. rule for when you do it. Well, that's a good question. And this is one of the Complaints I hear often about uh, the post-conciliar missile, it's just it's it's lack of clarity and it's multitude of options is that this is kind of leads to a, uh, I don't know, <laughs> confusion. Right. And this was in answer to the grape of the preconciliar missile that there were no options and you had to do every inconvenient, uh, uh, impractical thing because there was no flexibility yeah. at all. So yeah. I guess, you know, we're never happy. Right, Jesse? Never, never, never. Never happy. Yeah. Anyway, so that's one of them. But let's go quickly through these uh, other ones. Uh, the first one, well, this is how it begins at number four. It says, then follows the penitential act to which the priest invites the faithful saying, and you'll notice there that the it's all in music. Brethren, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare to celebrate the sacred mysteries. So again, just make that same point that uh, the mass is a sung prayer that occasionally can be recited but uh, it's meant to be sung. And then it says, a brief pause for silence follows. And I don't know, y'all can comment on this is how brief of a, do you encounter this or is it? uh, Mm, Not really. Yeah. Yeah. I need some time to think about all the bad thoughts I have about both of you. So I was like, okay. You know, (laughs) our friend, uh, uh, Father Eusebius Martis uh, would say that it needs to be uh, long enough that people can actually call to mind their sins that the priest has uh, has told them to, but not so long that the people should think that the minister should have gone to confession beforehand. <laughs> so there's a, hey, there's, a good there's, there's a right uh, balance, but there has to be some some uh, pause. And I'll say, you know, to maybe deacons out there, uh, the deacon doesn't lead the confitior, but he would lead some of the other ones. Is uh, I know, like when when we have masses at the cathedral, right? And you know, you've got 600, 800, 1,000 people there, it makes you nervous. And it's just really easy if you're the deacon, just after the priest, the bishop introduces that to go right into to one of the uh, one of the one of the formulas, but a brief pause for silence. And then the first option is this confitior. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned. And a couple of things we might 
I don't know. There's a lot we could comment on. Uh, and Dennis, you might remember this from Mystical Body, Mystical Voice days. When mystical Body, Mystical Voice. Okay. Ugh. Okay. We're getting better at it. Not great yeah. yet. What do is, I remember? Is uh, one of the things that the words had changed was that I have greatly sinned. Yeah. And grievous fault. Yeah. Well, do you, or in Wisconsin, we say grievous, like the uh, character, yeah. like General Grievous, Jesse, in. Uh, I, I don't. There you got you're me. Not a star, no you're not idea. a Star Wars. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Okay. General no, Grievous. Now I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. So we say grievous sometimes. Anyway. The great Is that like Pizza the Hut? <laughs> it's baseballs. That's good. I watched that a couple of weeks ago, actually. It's aged well. It's a good one. It's, it's a really good, good. Anyway, greatly is one of the words that changed. Uh, King David says, I have sinned greatly in doing this thing. Do you remember uh, uh, what this thing was? Uh, it was such a great sin. Bathsheba incident? No. You know, it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't. Yeah. It uh, what his great sin was calling a census. Man, I know what's up for that. Why is we that? We want to know how many people live in the city. Grievous. <laughs> well, we we were speculating back then. Why is calling a census such a grievous great sin? And I think it's because you know God had already promised through Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heaven and the sands on the so- shore of the sea, uh, and. You know, David uh, trusted, but he wanted to verify, so he calls this uh, census. And so he, I think the other thing was I think the other thing was worse. <laughs> when, he, when he gets called on, he he uh, admits his uh, his great sin in doing this thing. Uh, that says the people strike their breasts three times through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. You know the example of the tax collector in the Gospel of I think it's uh, Saint Luke uh, standing at a distance, wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, "Have mercy." see on me a sinner and there's that line we talked about before how we ask a blessed mary angels saints and each other to pray for ourselves and you know in the old form of this they used to confess also to the virgin mary angels and saints which is interesting they've taken that part out and i guess it makes a little more sense uh to confess to god and not to saints although we do confess to brothers and sisters so i don't know there's a million reasons why everything happens but there we go yeah. Yeah. What did it say? Uh, I beseech blessed Mary of a virgin, blessed Michael, the archangel, blessed mm-hmm. John the Baptist, the holy apostles, Peter and Paul, all the saints and you, Father, to pray uh, to the Lord God for and me. The poor altar servers would have to memorize that in Latin. Yeah. And, so, and after that, it says the absolution, which in the general instruction says, which lacks the efficacy of the sacrament of penance. Right. So does it forgive sins? Venial sins? I think the answer is yeah, yeah, it does, but not um, not venial. Uh, excuse me, not mortal sins uh, or cardinal sins. There's some of that uh, clarity again, huh? Okay, yeah, yeah. And so maybe you know this is maybe another uh, reason why that sign of the cross probably ought not to be included there uh, in the event that anyone was uh, confused about that. In any case, that's the first one, the uh, confitior. Uh, the second option. Uh, which you probably don't hear very much, comes from the prophet Baruch in Psalm 85. So the introduction is the same. And then the priest says, have mercy on us, O Lord, for we have sinned against you. This is from the prophet Baruch, chapter three, verse two. Baruch was, I guess, an assistant or a scribe or secretary for the prophet Jeremiah. And so they were in Jerusalem at the time that uh, the Babylonians came in and sacked Jerusalem. Oh. 
And then uh, I guess Jeremiah and Baruch, uh, they escaped or they were captured or they ended up in Egypt. But uh, Baruch 3.2 says, Hear us, O Lord, for you are a God of mercy and have mercy on us who have sinned against you. So this is almost verbatim uh, from that book of the Bible. And then Psalm well, You 80- know what they say, if it ain't Baruch, uh, don't it ain't, fix that's it. That's great, oh, Jesse. Man. And then Psalm 85.8 says, Show us, Lord, your love, grant us your salvation. Again, this is just you know, riffing, ripping right off out of the Bible. And this is a good point, too, is that the Roman rite especially praise the Bible. You know, the, so many of the words of the Mass come from the Bible. And in the Mass, it's show us, O Lord, your mercy, right? It's show us, O Lord, your love in, uh, in Baruch. It's a uh, show us, O Lord, your mercy. Yeah, show us, O Lord, your mercy. And, gr- and then the people respond and grant us your salvation. So what about you guys? How often do you hear this second option? I have not heard that since I last heard it at the Liturgical Institute several years ago. Jesse? Because people don't know what to do. Yeah, well, I I hear it at the Liturgical Institute. Yeah. So I guess the option is uh, keep not doing it because the people won't know what to do. Or (laughs) start doing it until they (laughs) know what to do. And teaching them and teaching them uh, how we pray the scriptures and the rest. Anyway, the third option, uh, quickly, is the one that begins with what are called tropes or troparion, where there's a little introduction. For example, you were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You came to call sinners. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. You were seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. So this is the third one. Now, sometimes the question comes up. Because uh, it was a little unclear in the in the sacramentary from 1985, can the priest or the deacon just make up his own invocations? You mean his own tropes? I would probably say no. Yeah, this is what the rubric says now. It says the priest. Oh, this is actually pretty good. The priest or a deacon or another minister says the following or other invocation. So on the one hand, uh, the cantor can sing this. You were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy. Cantor can do that. doesn't have to be the priest or deacon. Anyway, it all, especially if you want to get them sung. But the other says, says the following or other invocations. And it says sample invocations are yeah. found in the appendix. It's another asterisk. It is. So I, I would make the case that, no, I, it seems less of an option that the priest or the deacon or the other minister can make up his or her own. There are just other ones in the missile. Right. But you right. can't make up anything. Okay. Like yeah. it. Anyway. It right. Yeah. Okay. And it, anyway, so, so that's it. And maybe the last thing you might say is, so you have these three options, confitior, have mercy on us, O Lord, and then these tropes. Now, the third one, the tropes integrate the Kyrie or the Lord have mercy. Right. So okay. can you say it again? But the first two, the first two don't. And so at the order of mass number seven, it says the Kyrie uh, invocations follow unless they have just occurred in the formula of the penitential act, which is the only the third one. So if you do the first or the second ones, the, uh, the Kyrie, which uh, the germ describes as uh, the faithful acclaiming the Lord and his mercy. Uh, is used. This sounds like one of your quizzes in uh, Adoramus Bulletin. The first option, um, second option alone, third option, but not the fourth yeah. option, all of the above. Yeah, I'll tell you, and maybe some of you out there can attest to this. So I, uh, in the diocese, we're doing our uh, diaconal formation and practicum uh, for mass. Boy, we get waylaid on this penitential act. Uh, you think it's the penitential act. You've been to mass and it's pretty easy and it's over with quickly. But we spend a lot of time on the penitential act and especially relative to the Kyrie. Yeah. So after 
The first form, Confiteor, the Kyrie follows. After the second form, have mercy on us, O Lord, for we have sinned against you, the Kyrie follows. But the third form, no, because it's already integrated into that penitential act. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe another little uh, factoid here is, uh, Dennis, you've sung in uh, very good uh, uh, sacred choirs and whatnot. Uh, Here in the past. So how is the Kyrie different now? in 2022 than it was say in setting some of the settings you've sung well there used to be what they call the triple what they call the triple fold or triple kyrie it'd be kyrie liaison kyrie liaison kyrie liaison christe liaison three you know three of those and three of those so they're nine altogether i uh i don't know the reason why they brought it back to six i imagine the usual claim is you know early christians did it this way the medievals unnecessarily mm-hmm. multiplied it and now we're bringing it back to its pristine yeah. purity do you know so, the story Chris? it's all greek to me yeah <laughs> that's good jesse yeah that's another thing some people say well we should do the kyrie in latin uh, well i guess or you could just yeah. do it in greek which it is Dominus but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but can you use those old settings anymore people do or could musically. you compose a new setting of the three 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 true uh, or false I don't know. No. Sorry, sorry, Jesse. It's the other one. Actually, it says general instruction number 52. What's it say? As a rule, each acclamation is sung or said twice, though it may be repeated several times. Yeah. Good night, folks. That was great. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. So there at least is a little uh, walk through the penitential act, kind of its purpose to uh, dispose us, to gather the people into a community. Um we looked at uh, some of the details, the three forms, plus kind of this uh, fourth form, the sprinkling of holy water. But anyway, there it is. And you know, this Kyrie, I don't know if we'll talk about this in the next one, but it reminds me of the Voices and Instruments uh, in Christian Worship by Joseph Jeleno, which is one of the most life-changing books I've ever read liturgically. And he talks about the Kyrie being this cry for help. And he said, you know, a baby who's alone, who, you know, falls on the floor, who's cold, cries. Like, they cry out for help. It's a fundamental desire not to die. It's a fundamental desire not to go out of existence. And so, it's also a sign of hope because if you don't want to live, you don't cry out. You just pass away. And so, we might think all this penitential stuff is, you know, we're terrible and we're terrible and God wants us to grovel. But think about it the other way. We are separated from God to some degree. We would die on our own, and we want help. We want to live. We want to delight. We want to be transformed. And so, to call out for mercy, to call out and to cry out in general, is a great hopeful thing, and there prepares us for what comes next. How's that to wrap up this episode? I think it's good. Lord, I'm sorry. Thank you, Joseph Jelano. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, you should be. (laughs) Does this prepare us to answer a liturgy question? I'm sorry, it doesn't. Okay, do it anyway. (laughs) Yes, it does. It does. It does. All right, let's do a liturgy question. Jesse, have mercy. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, It also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses!
Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? This week we have a question from Rudiger. 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 Wow, we haven't heard Rudiger in a long time. Welcome back, Rudiger. Old pal Rudiger. Rudiger says, "Hello, ladies, you guys. I love your show. We love you too." <laughs> Chris, you don't. You sound like you believe this guy. <clears throat> Hi, Rudiger. Nobody. That's not true. Nobody loves our show. Uh, Rudiger says, since the feast of the most sacred heart of Jesus falls on Friday, June 24th this year, when would we celebrate the nativity of St. John the Baptist since that is normally on June 24th? This is this is a really interesting question. I think we had one way back, one about feasts of Peter and Paul falling around Corpus Christi or something. So, uh, so there's some funky stuff happening with uh, the importance of solemnities, right? Yeah, and are you going to go to my favorite chart of which the name I can never remember? The table of liturgical days. The table of liturgical days. That's the one. <laughs> oh, you don't have this posted in your office. If somewhere? Jesus no. was here, he'd flip that table for sure. <laughs> well, he's he's going to flip it in this instance. Yeah. So th- this is the this is the problem, though, right? So you have this thing called the table of liturgical days. There's a document called. Some something like universal norms on the general Roman calendar in the liturgical year, something like that. And it it's how the church manages her time. And then it has in there this thing called the uh, table of liturgical days. And this uh, table, as you might uh, uh, you know imagine, it ranks the different uh, liturgical days. And it, it says here, let's see if I, I got to try to find it now. That uh, in its ranking system, uh, solemnities inscribed in the general calendar, whether of the Lord, the Blessed Virgin Mary, or the saints. So what you have here, though, is on Friday, June 24th, 2022, you have battling solemnities. You have June 24th, solemnity of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist. And also on that day, the reason is conflicting. You think, well, why did they put them together on the same day? Is that the solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus is also is on the Friday, the second Friday after Pentecost Sunday. Okay, um, and that happens to be June twenty fourth. So you have two solemnities landing on the same day. Which one are you going to celebrate? Because that table of liturgical days does not distinguish between that category. What do you think, Dennis? Does it have something to do with? Feasts of the Lord taking precedence over other ones. Yeah, I think I think that's it. Um, and the reason this, is John the Baptist is a date, not a day of the week, right? So it, every seven years it lands on Friday. So most of the time it's not a problem. It's only once every so many years, right, that they want to be on the same day. So which well, one wins? no, even that, you even one. I mean, if John the Baptist, if June twenty fourth was a Sunday, would it be celebrated? Yeah, because it's it's higher than the Sunday, but it's. I don't. I don't ever remember this happening. Although, you know, I don't remember what I had for breakfast this morning either. But um, yeah. So, what are you going to do with these two dates? And I think Je- Dennis, your instinct uh, is right there. So, what the but the the Holy See had to come out and make this clarification because you you wouldn't be able to tell from the documents. So, what happens uh, this year is the Nativity of John the Baptist starts the day before Thursday, June twenty fourth, and so. June 22nd, that evening, evening prayer one, will be for the birth of John the Baptist on Wednesday the 22nd. 22nd. And then Thursday the 23rd is St. John the Baptist. And then when you get to that evening, 
It's going to be evening prayer one for the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which is Friday the 24th. The one exception, they said, is if uh, St. John the Baptist is your uh, patronal saint, like... Uh, the parish, St. John the Baptist. Yeah, the parish. Or I think in Canada, John the Baptist is their, yeah, in their country's uh, patron. Uh, yeah, but that's your parish. That's your diocese. Then it switches and Sacred Heart of Jesus moves ahead. And St. John the Baptist Whoa. retains his spot on uh, the 24th. That is but, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, Jesse, that is such a nerdy thing. to. If you're fascinated <laughs> by that, you are a true liturgy nerd. But for what it's worth, I agree with you. Because it is one of these quirks that... Um, it's pretty pretty rare. But, huh. but the is. concept is pretty straightforward, right? The highest ranked feast wins. See, but they have the but same rank. Which one is the highest yeah. ranked feast is the determining factor. Exactly. Is it the solemnity of your diocese? Is it exactly. universal? Is it whatever? Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. All right, Rudiger. I, I hope that go. answers your question. Yeah, it answered we'll a question. You ask again. Yeah. Rudiger, send us more that, questions, Rudiger. We like that you. That answers a question that I didn't even know we had. So uh, <laughs> if you had a question, if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. Thank you, and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoremus, the Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture and Ex Corde, both at Benedictine College. Now that's a podcast.